Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. I am joined today by that Liberty chick. How are you doing today, Kalina? Good, good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, first thing I do got to say is just in case uh, the big tech overlords do not like this conversation, we do have a backup stream going right now on Odyssey. You can find that at uh, risetoliberty.com slash odyssey or just go to Odyssey and search uh, Rise to Liberty podcast and you'll find it. Um, we never know exactly how well they're going to take this conversation. <laughs> I so, feel you. Instagram's like that all the time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So do you want to give a little bit of your uh, background about uh, what kind of experience you have, uh, just so people know that, you know, I- exactly where you're coming from? Sure. Um, experience, all kind of experience. Um, but basically, okay, so if I, talking about my libertarian journey, my libertarian start, um, basically, I mean, I've always been very liberty minded, but like a lot of people, I didn't realize that I was a libertarian. I didn't realize how important all that was until 2020, you know, with the lockdowns and everything. Um, that was when I first realized, you know, how anti-mandate I was, how against, you know, government overreach I was and everything. And um, just to, I'll make this just very short and brief, but um, basically that led me to getting involved with the Libertarian Party. Um, I live in Louisiana, so I had connected with my state Libertarian Party, gotten involved with them, helped to form um, my parish executive committee. That's like a county, um, you know, it's like the smaller, smaller branch within the Libertarian Party of the state to help out there. Um, I served two roles for a year. I was um, secretary and SCC rep. So the rep for my um, for my parish to the state, you know, to the state party for a year. Um, I did that. I'm actually moving parishes now. Um, but, you know, that that was my major involvement with the Libertarian Party. I, I'm also, you know, one of the things that had led me to um, joining and to being a part of the Libertarian Party and to re- recognizing that that was, you know, a good fit for me was, you know, some of the mandates to have to do with vaccines and everything like that. And so um, health freedom was also a huge theme for me. And I, um, you know, I, I had started kind of trying to say, like, there are all these health freedom moms and there are also, you know, all these libertarians and they kind of really overlap. And that's what had actually led me to start my page because I realized pretty quickly, you know, nobody else was going to take the initiative on my behalf, you know, to try to bring those two groups together and show show how alike we all think. And um, so that was kind of the inspiration behind my page, which I had started in June of 2021. Oop, had myself muted there for a sec. And <laughs> exactly what do you mainly focus on as, as far as your activism? Okay, so my page um, in general is mostly about health freedom. So anti-mandates for vaccines, a big pharma overreach. Those are like my passions within, um, you know, with within the libertarian movement or just within, you know, basically like the whole kind of counterculture, counter-government movement. So I'm really, really big on, you know, the fact that big pharma has um, a ton of overreach and that we should not be forced. They shouldn't be, 
you know, kind of like commingling with the government, lobbying to the government, making rules for us, basically selling us, you know, as products to Big Pharma. Um, so that's really my biggest focus um, within, you know, my page and my platform and everything. But I am pretty, you know, passionate libertarian, um, although I would say like all libertarians, I am um, even skeptical and a little bit hard on other libertarians and libertarian parties. So. Yeah, most definitely. How exactly has the Libertarian Party uh, embraced you or your message? Well, actually, this is super exciting <laughs> for uh, today. So the the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, you know, they they're kind of like a, they're probably the most boldest, you know, messaging in the Libertarian Party. Super based. Right. Super based. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're they're awesome. And I actually used to live in New Hampshire. I definitely wasn't a libertarian then or even thinking about that. I was in school um, to be a physician assistant, which is like a whole other, I'm sure we'll get there. But um, New Hampshire is a pretty cool place. They have that live, live free or die um, as their state motto. But they actually retweeted my um, Dan Crenshaw reel that I had posted onto Twitter today. And I was pretty proud of that because normally the Libertarian Party um, gives me a, a, a like a cold shoulder. So, <laughs> so I was a little bit excited about that. I was like, okay, see, I, I make good content. No matter how much you hate me, you're going to recognize, you know, I put in the work. I make a lot of good content. That that reel did pretty good on Instagram and it um, did pretty good on, on Twitter too. So I was happy they reshared it. But by and large, I think, um, of course, for my state, you know, my, my state party, I did get a lot of support when I wanted to get started by forming a parish executive committee when I was doing the things that they wanted to do. Um, I did get a lot of support, you know, um, they had asked me to even run for office last year. And I initially said yes. And then I realized that there there's not a lot of broader support there and that it would probably use up a lot of my time, but not um, but not have a lot of benefits. So I decided not to do it at that time. Um, but so there, there has been a lot of support on those levels. Now, as far as my libertarian page, even at a state level, you know, the people that know me personally, that know the what work I've put in and everything, there has not been a lot of support for my page, which I've always found to be um, I'm not somebody who's going to ever go out there and say, like, support me, you know, when I made the page, it grew organically. I never even asked family or friends to support it because, to be honest, most of them aren't libertarians. Um, so it, my page grew on Instagram basically just because people that liked the message and became my friends through that. Um, so there was never a lot of support from the libertarian party of my state. Um, which I thought was funny because you would think, you know, if there is somebody who's growing a libertarian platform talking about libertarian ideals that you would want to attach to that and basically use that to help grow the party. But there really hadn't been much of that. And my thoughts are because I am such a strong health freedom voice and my state party had people in place in their media um, you know, running their media and everything like that, that were very soft on mandates, that were very soft on, you know, the vaccine conversation, very soft on masks, you know, almost to the point of, you know, in my, in, in my <laughs> um, opinion, they were like missing a moment in time where we could have gained a lot of libertarian traction by saying libertarian parties anti forcing you to wear a mask, you know, it was like, 
well, you shouldn't be forced to wear a mask, but it's probably a good idea. I was like, that type of messaging, you know, you're not winning any friends with that. You're like tiptoeing a line that nobody likes it. It sounds icky. So um, basically, I think that I was always a little bit too health freedom oriented, a little bit too anti-vax for them, even before I really even said I was anti-vax, you know, just back when I was like anti-mandate, everyone should do what they want. You know, but there shouldn't be any mandates and stuff. That was even too strong for them then. So, and I've gone tenfold since that. So, there's probably going to be no no support or friends there. Um, you know, on a large scale. Same thing with LP National. Um, now, LP National is very anti-mandate. They have great messaging and everything. But um, my bone to pick with them is that not just me, but if there are libertarian influencers out there that have like a niche that is not libertarians, they should attached to that niche, you know, to that influencer and say, we want to know how to get your audience to not just like you for your libertarian messaging and your health freedom um, content, but also to maybe become libertarian voters. Like, how can we connect with you? Because, the, you know, if I have 18,000 people that follow me on Instagram, probably maybe a thousand of them are libertarians, you know, probably a few thousand are bots and then the other thousands are people you know even if 10,000 people are um republicans because i have a lot of conservatives on there that could become libertarians that is a market that they should want to tap but there has no initiative there and i've noticed that also you know there are many other influencers um out there there's a girl she's a health freedom um girl i think she has like 50 or she may even be closer to 70,000 or something followers. Now, I've heard her say before, hey, I think I'm a libertarian or I'm saying I'm more of a libertarian. And I'm like, these are the type of people that they should attach to because her followers are not libertarians. They're health freedom people, but they they love what she says. They probably think like her. And, you know, if the Libertarian Party would put in a little bit of effort to kind of like foster a relationship there, they could probably help that person convert some voters for them. So, that's my thoughts there. And that's been my bone to pick. Um, I was actually even a little disappointed um, because back in November, I went to see Ron Paul and he did an awesome thing with Del Big Tree um, down in, in Texas, in Lake Jackson, Texas. It was so cool um, and everything. But I noticed the Libertarian Party, you know, LP National had its own event in Austin at the same time. Well, they could have worked together and made that a much bigger event. I would think they would support, you know, especially a voice like Del, Del Bigtree. He has, you know, he's a health freedom person, but he's kind of becoming libertarian. He has hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. So I, I would think that their time and effort would have been best spent trying to, you know, connect with him. But what do I know? So that's my whole rant there. Yeah, it seems... <clears throat> so the the one defense I'll I'll have uh, with national, yeah. I mean, ever since the takeover, uh, the the Mises Caucus takeover, messaging has been above and beyond yeah. so much better than it was. Um, and I I do think that there is going to be a uh, quite a bit of a learning curve with that. Yeah. I am surprised that they haven't kind of globbed on to the uh, body autonomy, uh, medical freedom, even the food freedom movement. Because, I mean, that that's a, I mean, a massive voting base in this country is moms and just women in general. Yes. And, like, those are two issues, like body autonomy, medical freedom, food freedom are, like, issues that 
women tend to really care about. Mm. Of course, I don't want to generalize too much, but <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we don't so get offended I, here. <laughs> yeah. So I am kind of surprised there hasn't been a little bit more of an outreach um, just because, I mean, that that's a huge base of people. Yes, definitely. Okay. One issue that I just realized with all of this was I had charged my computer and not my phone. So <laughs> in a second, I'm going to have to grab my charger. I hope it doesn't affect the sound too much. But I'm gonna I don't, have to I don't think it should. Okay. I don't think it should. Yeah, so. my puppy is in the background. Everyone, I just got a second puppy. Okay. I have two <laughs> sheepadoodles. I have Dave. For those of you who know Dave, Dave's like about five months old now. And then Dave has his own new friend. Her name is Liberty. My son named her out of a list. I gave him options. <laughs> and that was the one he picked, which I love it. Um, but we're kennel training right now and she does not want to be in her kennel. So she's downstairs barking, but she's perfectly fine. So I hope it doesn't disrupt the audio, but I am going to have to unplug and then plug into the charger really quick. So let me grab that. No worries. Let's see here. So I do got to say, while she's out there, go ahead and check out her platform. I really do enjoy the content that she does create. Um, we had actually connected over Instagram and we've kind of shared back and forth um, a lot of the content. And uh, if medical freedom or anything is along your uh, your your uh, issues that you care about, then that is something you should make sure and follow her for. And you can pretty much find her at at Liberty Chick on any platform. Yes, I just actually, can you hear me okay? Yeah, it's a little bit muffled, but it sounds good. I'm going to try to fix this a little bit. Sorry. Again, my setup. So I'm also in the process, you know, you see my house and everything. I'm in the process of moving. And um, I thought I would be moved by now and have like a whole nice setup to do podcasts and everything, but I have not moved and everything's a mess. So <laughs> I'm just trying to do the best that, best that I can, but I have not ordered like a new setup for to, you know, hold my phone and everything. But um, yeah, so I just, okay, so I've been on Twitter now for a little bit, so people can find me over there. My Twitter is that Liberty Chick, like T-H-T. Um, for some reason, like the A didn't fit. And so I had to go short on that. So I, I took, it's THT Liberty Chick. And then I also just started a Facebook page. I don't know how worth it that is. I don't really like Facebook at all. But, um, you know, you can live stream on there and everything. And I just thought, you know, for completeness sake, we'll just start throwing some memes on Facebook. So. Yeah. And I, w I was just mentioning how we had actually connected over Instagram, which yeah. your Instagram kind of exploded. Yeah. Yeah, my Instagram, um, so my Instagram, I had started it in June of 2021. I started just posting all kinds of libertarian content, health freedom content. I made a few reels. They started to, you know, some started to hit. At first, I was like a little nervous. So I was like not like messaging people, not answering the comments, not doing all that stuff because I, I was very new to social media and everything. So the first pop, you know, I maybe got like a couple thousand followers, but I didn't really capitalize on it the right way. And um, then it was like December of 2021. I had actually, and this is, this is one of those things I had. And of course it was different, the different regime, I guess, of the Libertarian Party then. But I had actually tagged them in, or not tagged them, but I mentioned them in a reel, um, you know, because it was the 50th anniversary of the Libertarian Party. 
Um, but it made some silly reel that was like somebody else's voice, you know, it was like when that was popular or whatever, like a lip syncing one. And it got like almost, I think like over 400,000 views. Um, and so that was when my account started to, to really take off and, you know, hit 10,000. Then, then it's slowly grown from there, which I'm happy about because I like to say, like, if you're going to make content and stuff, like the goal should never really to be to go viral because often when people go viral, they don't even know how they did it. Like you want to just make good content and slowly grow, you know, like person by person, like build a really, really good base. And so the next 18,000 followers, I mean, the next 8,000 followers I probably gained over the course of now a year. So. Yeah, that's not bad at all. And it's extremely hard to uh, grow a platform. I've noticed uh, I actually came in right at the end of a lot of platform or a lot of uh, creators kind of exploding and it's been significantly harder ever since then, you know, trying to grab people's attention. Uh, Instagram seems to be just a little bit easier because it's kind of more on the uh, TikTok side of, uh, you know, vertical video that, you know, lasts a minute. So it seems to be a little bit easier on that platform. Yeah, and that's actually something that I try to do often, like a video explaining to people how to grow their platform, because that's also important. You know, I don't just look at it as like, oh, I want to be, and and people in the Libertarian Party will laugh at me and say like, oh, she just wants attention and this and that. That's why she complains about stuff. No, I want attention for the Libertarian Party, for the Libertarian ideals, for freedom. And so I always try to share tips and everything if anybody has questions about how did you grow your platform? How did you grow on Instagram when everything you talk about is controversial, um, you know, and stuff you can get can get censored for, banned for, everything? How did you, you know, how did I do that and still grow and never get censored, never get banned? I mean, I, I had some minor dings along the way, but um I think that it's important to try to to help each other share those tips and everything, especially when you're speaking on, you know, censored, censored topics, unfortunately, censored topics. Um, it is it can be very hard to grow. So that's something that I like to, you know, offer up help if anyone has questions there. So now one, one thing I want to want to touch on, get into a little bit is uh, your experience in the medical industry. Uh, w- would you mind explaining that? Sure, of course. So, um, yeah, so I was actually, I practiced medicine for six years. I was a physician assistant. Um, I went to to PA school. I'm originally from Seattle area, greater Seattle area. I, um, gross. Do it. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) I I will tell y'all, I have not been there in coming on eight. It's been almost eight years since I've been there and I don't ever really feel a desire to go back. Unfortunately, a lot of people that I know from there, like wouldn't, wouldn't like me anymore because of the way that I think. And I mean, I'm fine with that because I like the way I think I'm happy in the South. But um, so I moved from there to New Hampshire um, to go to PA school, went to PA school for two years. New England was very fun. I had a great time. Um, After that, I moved for my first job, pretty much my main job, my whole career was ICU medicine, which I did uh, found a job in rural Louisiana. I came down for an interview. It was like January snow up in New Hampshire. Oh, I was in Massachusetts by then, but snow in Massachusetts. And I came down and I was like, you know what? I'm done with the snow. Um, I'm going to move down to Louisiana, take this job. It pays great, especially for the cost of living and everything. I'm going to experience something new, go to Mardi Gras, all that, go to New Orleans. 
And so I moved down here um, and thinking I was just going to stay for like a two-year contract. Ended up staying forever, you know, probably forever and ever. Um, but uh, yeah, I practiced ICU medicine for six years. Um, I was the first couple of years I was full time, and then I did PRN. Like once I got pregnant, I had my son and everything. I would drive back and forth. I moved like an hour and a half away. I would drive back and forth. Um, so I did. I did work the full first year of the pandemic. I worked in ICU medicine um, until April of twenty twenty one. Right. Yeah, 2021. So it's been almost, it's been almost a year. No, it's been almost a year and a half. It's been almost two years since I left. Um, so about that time, you know, first of all, like, as you start to do a career, you start to see like all the things that don't actually align with you. And I've just, you know, ever since I was a lot younger, I've never been like a pill popper or anything like that. You know, when I was much younger, it'd be like, oh, give me an ibuprofen, give me a Tylenol and stuff, but as I've gotten older and older, I'm like, what are the side effects? What's this? What's that? You know? And so I, I found that I was always much more into natural stuff. I've always been into fitness, always been into, you know, eating right, all of those things, like trying to care for my body. So granted, ICU medicine, like there's usually, you don't have all those lifestyle options at that point. You know, you're taking care of an acute thing. But um, just looking at the medical industry as a whole, I started to have a lot of personal differences with it. Um, then of course, going into the pandemic, there was just so much propaganda from the TV, from people, from everything, you know, um, that I started to feel very adverse with the medical industry. And it was about that time that I kind of started to, you know, of course, cause you want to know like what's really going on. And I feel like I'm being lied to, you know, because I understand how, how ger germ theory or whatever works. You know, I understand infectious disease, droplets, you know, droplet-borne born, um, viruses and everything. And, like, why are they having people wear N95s all the time? Why are people so over the top? Why are people thinking, you know, why Why is the news telling people that they have to, um, like, <laughs> wipe down all their groceries and stuff because the virus is so deadly. It can live on anything and get... People can be um, asymptomatic carriers at the same time. It's going to hang in the air for 36 hours. All that stuff, I was like, this is just bullshit, you know? And it just made me have a lot of questions. So that's when I started to kind of look at, like, the more counter-narrative that I had suspected and tried to, to kind of find before. But it's very hard, like, when you just have Google and, like, a laptop to understand, like, what are people really saying? What's the other side? You know, you have to really find those good sources and everything. Um, so it was around then I think I started following like a Facebook page that my ex-husband, it was like a friend of his from high school and he shares like amazing stuff. Um, and he shared like, I don't know if you know who Dollar Vigilante, Jeff Berwick. Yeah. He was like my original red pill. So I started watching him. Um, he also shared, um, Robert, some stuff from Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, who has children's health events and everything. And that was when I started reading about vaccines. And I can say that on this platform, right? We don't have to be censored or anything. I can talk about nope. Go for it. Okay. Um, so I started reading about vaccines. My son, you know, and I don't know how much you know about this, but my son, he was also experiencing a lot of difficulties that seemed like, you know, autism. At the time, you know, it's like he wasn't speaking. I don't think... Yeah, at that time, he still wasn't even speaking. 
was the speaking attention span, like, you know, how, how aware he was and everything had just changed so much, like since he was one years old, one year old. And that was when I started looking into the childhood vaccines and everything from um, RFK Jr. from Children's Health Defense. And it was like, my world was like turning upside down, you know? And once you realize how lied to you've been about something and how you're just not supposed to talk about it still, and people just don't want you to say anything, they only ask questions, then it just becomes very hard to continue to stay in something where that's the sentiment. Like, you're not supposed to talk about this. Like, you can't talk about what you think happened to your kid. You can't have these questions, safe and effective, all this stuff. And it just started to feel very, like, sinister to me. And um, so that was kind of how I started to, you know, between that, the pandemic, my eyes opening, I started to want to really step away from, you know, medicine. Also, not just that, but I wasn't ever really happy in medicine as a career. It just wasn't a fit for like the type of person I am. So um, I never, you know, when it came to like the COVID shot and everything, that wasn't a factor for me. Actually, I had already decided I was done with vaccines in fall of 2020. And so I, you know, at that time asked for an exemption for the flu vaccine at my work for the first time. I had never wanted it and they'd always pushed it and I always joke, like, one year they gave it to me and I, like, squeezed it back out. And that year I was fine. But the next year, I don't think I did. And I, like, got the flu really bad, you know. And everyone was getting the flu really bad. So so that year I said, you know, in 2021, I mean, in 2020, I said, um, I'm not going to get the flu vaccine. And I want an exemption. So I live in Louisiana and we have a lot of options, like, for school children. So we have um, medical. We have... Um, religious, we have personal exemptions. So those aren't necessarily designed for adults. And we actually also, if you have children in, in Louisiana, there's also like a title, it's like 2717, something like that. Don't quote me on that part. But um, if you do live in Louisiana, check out Health Freedom Louisiana because they have all the resources on that. But they also have, you can just write like a, a dissent. Um, and I think there's some circumstances with like Medicaid where like it's a problem. But um they could probably explain that further and better than I can. But, um, and problem, I mean, like, I think it has something to do with their benefits. But basically, you know, um, you can dissent from them entirely for children. So I was like, you know what, if this is the precedent for children, like, I'm just going to do this. And I've already decided, like, I have one foot out the door here. No matter what happens, I am just going to press them on it. Like, I'm not going to roll over. Because the mandates are coming down the pipe, you know, it's going to be the COVID vaccine next. So I asked for that exemption, and it was actually pretty interesting because they tried, at first they were like, oh, okay, just follow the sheet. And then um, then I started to get emails, hey, we never said you could have this exemption. Because all I wrote was personal, personal philosophical in the blank. I didn't give them reasons or anything. I was like, this is it. Personal means personal. And so I started to get some like minor pushback from the hospital, not even from my provider group, but from the hospital. Like, hey, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, okay, so I tell them what's the consequence. Oh, well, you know, okay, well, you know, your deadline is Thursday, and I have to work on Saturday, so you're gonna have to figure this out. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, they can't tell me because it says in I think in their policy, like all the way up to and including like. Um, basically fire you, you know? So, but they didn't, 
if you tried to look through like <laughs> what the steps were and everything, they didn't really, it wasn't clear what would happen. And so it was interesting. They tried to push back against me for a few days, you know, and I'm just reminding them I have to work on Saturday. If you don't want me there, you're going to have to figure this out because you're first of all going to have to find somebody to cover my shift. It's not easy to find a provider to cover a shift. It's not easy to lose a provider. And, um, you know, you just, you need to tell me. So magically Friday, I got an email from someone very high up in my provider group network, you know, saying, uh, we will accept your exemption. You know, you're fine to go to work. And that was the end. But they did make me sign stuff that says, you know, you realize you're putting everyone around you at risk and all this stuff. And you need to wear a mask like up to your, you know, everyone was wearing a mask anyway. So I was like, it doesn't matter. Um, but um, you know, saying you have to wear the mask the entire time and all this stuff and just basically like not like threats, but just like, you know, just putting all kind of like guilt tripping and stuff. If everyone gets sick, it's gonna be on you and stuff. So God is good and I work the whole flu season because the flu season ends in, in April. I never saw a case of the flu, you know, and people can say there's lots of reasons for that. It could just be because they all had COVID, you know, but um there was never a flu case. There was never an issue. So that got very lucky because, you know, you don't want to be in that position. They also did. They also told people that I wasn't getting the flu shot and tried to get them to convince me to get it. And people knew that I said no to it. And it was like a whole situation. So they, they told your patients that you didn't get it. No, they told other people I worked with. Okay. Even, even still, that's, that's very weird. It's very, That's very weird, cultish, yeah. and creepy. Yes, when you get a phone call from someone, hey, why are you saying no to this? Because it's a personal reason. I'm not going to, and I just tell them that, you know, and it's no shade to that person or to those people that said anything. They were probably put in an awkward position. But I'm like, the point is, is that I said I'm not going to discuss this because people are just going to try to convince me otherwise. That's the only reason you want to know my answer so you can shoot holes in it, you know. So I just, no means no. So what are you going to do about it? You know, so um, I worked the entire flu season. There was no flu. Thankfully, you know, no one was coming after me saying I gave them all the flu or anything. And, um, you know, then it was time for me to step away. So that that was my career in medicine. Um, it is over now. I do not plan to go back. That was very hard for a lot of people in my life to understand because it is very good money. You know, being a provider, I obviously don't at this point make the money I do now, you know, to get in the career that I'm at now, it's going to take time to build that back up. It's not the same thing as like when you can just show up to work and they just hand you, you know, six figures. It's not like that when you're out on your own, when you're like a free human, but it feels so much better. So I just don't care. No, that's, that's great. Honestly, it's, it's really interesting how we all kind of live through this I still don't even know exactly what to call it, but it, it was like a massive like psyop, a, a yep. massive like just brainwashing of people. Um, I look back on it and it it astounds me. Yeah. Like it, it's it's amazing the people who went what direction to me because there were some people that went a certain direction that I never thought that people like that would go, while also claiming to be you know free thought free thinking individuals and i'm like no you're not doesn't mean that if you you know took whatever experimental vaccine doesn't mean that you're not a free thinker necessarily and in the beginning lots of people were scared and that propaganda was was very uh 
very yeah. effective. Yeah. Um, I think uh, if you're not raising questions now, though, I, I, I don't think you're a very open-minded person if you're not asking questions at the very least. Um, so the the medical industry kind of gave you a lot of pushback. Um, and it, you, you said it was your family that also kind of gave you a little pushback as well? Well, their pushback was more just from me leaving medicine because a lot of times, you know, when you have a good career, you have money, you have all these things, like, you know, from those standards, it's very hard for people to understand, like, what on earth could get you to step away from that. And, like, well, they treated me basically like an animal for the last three, well, at that point, it was like year and a half, you know, saying you have to wear a mask when you come to work. We have to take your temperature at the door. You know, you need to push this product on, if not like, obviously in the ICU, we don't go around vaccinating people, they're ill. But you feel like, theoretically, you're supposed to be online with this, you know, when when other nurses, you know, nurses and stuff, people in the hospital were saying, I don't know if I want to get it. And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to get it either. You know, that's, I think that that's perfectly reasonable and stuff everyone's coming at you like how can you say that well she doesn't even get the flu vaccine you can't listen to anything she says all all this like so when you see that kind of culture around it it's like to me it wasn't worth it anymore but it's very hard for for people in your life that see it as good study money um you know some type of safety net and everything to understand like the types of things that would make you step away from from that but for me freedom and like the future of the country, the future of my son, you know, of the world he's going to inherit so much more important. So I'm like, for me to really talk about these issues, and that was absolutely a factor to me, for me to really talk about these issues, I felt that I had to step away because the pressure was just too great. You know, you don't want to be that person getting pulled in front of the medical board and having to defend yourself because you talked against vaccines. You know, when you know in your heart you're saying the right thing, it can still, you know, cause a lot of issues in your life, a lot of stress and everything that's unnecessary, you know, especially when I didn't have strong feelings towards the career anymore. I felt that they've been lying for decades when I learned about childhood vaccines and um, even myocarditis, you know, when it comes down to the myocarditis, when I looked back, I had emails and I talked about it right away on that was probably the very first thing I ever talked about on um, on uh, Instagram, my old Instagram, and then onto my Facebook stories. Was they sent out emails right in? It was like marked like June uh, May twenty eighth or something. But I think I received it June first. High risk myocarditis adolescent men with the mRNA vaccines. Do you think that any other provider or healthcare worker that I know got on the internet and talked about that? No. You think they all received the same exact email? 100%. But the people are so afraid to go against the narrative. They're so afraid to speak out even when they're being given this information because, of course, the CDC still says, or, or Louisiana Department of Health, whatever it was, that we still recommend that they give this to everyone 12 and up or whatever the age cutoff was at that point. So I was just, I, I mean, basically disgusted with that. I wanted to talk about it more. I wanted to share. I wanted to support people who didn't want to, you know, submit to just getting it, especially when it become mandatory. So it just was like a whole, a whole thing for me. It just wasn't a good fit anymore. So. 
so one thing I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you do consider yourself uh, anti-vax, correct? Yes. Yeah. If you look on my Twitter, it says I'm anti-vax. I, you know, I like to Photoshop the anti-vax tattoo. I don't actually have that. You guys, I might get it. The only reason I don't get it is because I'm like, so like, okay, well, I'm going to put toxins. I already have tattoos, but I'm like, do I need to put more toxins into my body to say how much I don't like toxins? That seems stupid. So that's the only reason I don't actually get it. Um, you know, but yeah, basically very anti-vax at this point. Do not have problems if people feel that there are vaccines that are, you know, important to them that they think are beneficial as long as they've received good, true, informed consent and not been lied to by their providers. Um, then I'm not like dissing anyone who gets a vaccine that they feel that they need. I 100% think that there are too many unnecessary vaccines, especially given to children. And um, they're not, they sell you all like they're probably all life and death or saving you from some lifelong side effect that's absolutely not true you have to look into each one and take into account and look at your own risk factors but public health you know dictates that we don't do that we just all line up and take the exact same thing so that's my feelings there so let, let me know if you agree with this statement because this is kind of how i feel about things now okay. is that whether that the, the technology of what a vaccine is supposed to do, what we're told that it is, might or might not be a good thing. But whether that is a good uh, technology or a good, um, well, just that, a, a good technology, a good form of science, it's been hijacked by people with really bad intentions. And so whether it is meant to be good, it's usually not good now based upon how the uh, pharmaceutical companies uh pretty much react. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with that. I think in the beginning, of course, like it wasn't like a bunch of malintent, like, oh, we're going to go get all these people messed up with these vaccines. But what happens? You know, first of all, I always like to think of institutions over community. And of course, these are institutions. So what happens? They create an institution to start to create all these products and everything. Well, the institution, its goal is to preserve itself you know, we're all secondary. It's not actually, no matter what they say it is, we're not really like its primary goal. Its primary goal is to continue on doing the work it's doing, especially in a case like the pharmaceutical industry where these are for-profit industries. They want to continue to profit. And so it's very hard because what happens, you know, they start making profits. They want to make more profits. They have, um, you know, they're publicly traded companies too. So they, they have um, shareholders, stockholders, whatever. I'm not an econo economist, but um, they have those people to please. They want to make more. They know they don't have liability. They keep making other ones. They're like, you know, no one wants, no one wants to catch this little disease. Let's make another one. And everything they do is to protect their profit. And so, of course, they don't go out looking for problems. They're not going to sit there doing um, all these studies. And this is something that Children's Health Defense talks about a lot. They're not going to sit there and do all these studies that they know will show the damages and, and the risk factors. They're going to design it within the realms of what's acceptable to the FDA, but makes them look the best. And that's just what happens. And so it's just a, an institution that's just built on itself. Um, and they've made mistakes along the way, and they don't go out of their way to admit it. You know, they try to sidestep, they try to make it look a little bit better. Um, the thing, you know, I like to talk all the way back to the polio 
um, vaccine because that's one of the ones that people love the most. You know, if you talk badly about vaccines, they want to tell you how the polio vaccine is safe to everyone. Well, you know, when they had made the original polio vaccines, there was a couple of issues. One of them, you know, um, version, they had a, they had two versions. They had a, like a, a live attenuated and like a, a killed um, version. So I believe it was the, the killed version. They weren't all, the polio wasn't all the way dead. They gave it to monkeys. The monkeys got polio. They got paralyzed. Well, they still went on and gave it to the children. The children, they got polio. Children were harmed. Okay. Alton Oshner, this is Louisiana. Um, if y'all know Oshner Medical, you know, um, Oshner, I guess it's not just medical center. It's like Oshner Health Systems. Um, huge health system here. Alton Oshner gave this. You can look it up to his grandchildren. One of them died. One of them was injured. So um, there was that issue all the way back to the polio um, vaccine. Then there was a secondary issue. And I believe it was the other version that they accidentally, you know, there, there can be, you know, harmless or harmful passenger viruses that they didn't account for. They make these things in like monkey kidneys or, you know, I think some of the flu ones, it's been like, uh, the kidneys of cocker spaniels, stuff like that. They use animal cells. So animals can have other viruses that they don't know about. And um, one of those viruses at that time was SV40. SV40 um, is known to cause soft tissue cancers. You can look this up just on like the CHOP website. And they will admit it, you know, it was contaminated in those vaccines that they gave to people for like maybe 10 years or so. And, um, but what they do not admit is they, they try to tell you, well, there's no evidence that this caused an increase in soft tissue cancers. But everyone knows since the 50s, more and more people have cancer and they unleash this virus into the population, you know, and people may not even have known that they had it at the time um, because it may not have caused anything but going on to cause these cancers. So there's always been issues with, um, you know, the vaccine in industry, and they've always done their best to kind of cover their tracks. They're not going to go out and take ownership for it because they want you to roll up your sleeve and take the next one. And that's why we always have to look at everything with a critical eye. We have to think about ourselves and our body first. You know, we are not, I, I, in my opinion, and I don't think anyone should think this, we are not like public products. Like, we are not, you know, just a piece of the public that we have to do whatever the government says, that we are less important in, as individuals than the whole. You are the most important person to you, and you should always be able to decide what's best for you. I should never take something that, you know, could probably harm me, but might possibly, you know, help you. So, um, and same thing for you. You should, if there's something that might harm you, but you think it would protect me because maybe I have, um, you know, a suppressed immune system or something, you shouldn't take that either. You are most important to you because you have a job in life, which is to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, and to, you know, um, make your family autonomous, to create economic, you know, stability for your family, for yourself. And you should never have to or be asked to sacrifice that for somebody else. So, No, I completely agree. Um, I mean, the, the libertarian ideal, um, personally, I'm, I'm a voluntarist. And so I, I just align libertarian because that's the political party that most uh, aligns with what I believe. Yeah. Um, but I, I base everything on the individual. Um, you know, 
I don't go after that collectivist, like do it for society nonsense. And I yeah. fight back against that a lot, um, which happens a lot on Twitter, which is partially yeah. why I'm on there. Um, it's, it's interesting because I mean, society is made up of the individual. And if every individual, you know, took, um, took responsibility for themselves, then society will naturally get taken care of because yeah. the individual is taken care of. Exactly. Um, and that that's what bothered me so much about the propaganda coming out from the CDC, who at this point just seems like uh, an official, unofficial um, group <laughs> for Big Pharma to push new products. Yes. Like every. Well, let me ask you this. How do you feel about um, drug commercials? Because at, at one point in time, there were cigarette commercials. There were all kinds of commercials that have now been banned. And I don't necessarily think that that's the route to go, but yeah. exactly how do you feel about big pharma pushing just brand new products on the American people? Like ask your doctor about this. Well, I, okay. So I don't know. Cause I've never seen one of those commercials and like gotten excited. Like I, I don't know what other people think, you know, I've never seen one of those. And I, I mean, I also try not to have any health problems, but I've never seen one of those commercials and been like, wow, that seems great for my whatever. <laughs> so um, and I think it is good that they list the side effects and everything. Um, it's hard because also like people really, it's not like they can go out and buy most of those. Like the provider is still the person kind of, kind of in charge of that situation. Now they are also receiving personalized drug commercials, you know, because they have pharmaceutical reps that come visit them, you know, bring them, I think they're only allowed to bring them lunch now. They used to be able to give them a cruise and like all golf and all kind of stuff. But I think now they just can give them like a pen and some food or something. But um, they also have like those personalized drug commercials where they're kind of, you know, pushed towards try this one. This one's so great. Give this one to your patients and everything. Um, so I don't know. It's hard because I feel like more rules and laws are not always the best thing. But I always have like a caveat to that because I'm not a full anarchist, although I always say like I lean hard towards anarchy. Like if we could have anarchy, I would like that better. But um, we don't. We have, you know, a society with rules and laws. And as a libertarian, you know, I guess we still want that in some fashion. So I always say, like, if there is going to be a law, which law should we have? So if there is going to be laws, I mean, obviously, we should have laws that people shouldn't murder each other. They shouldn't steal each other's stuff. Um, in my opinion, they shouldn't harm the preborn either. But also, people should have laws to protect them from industries, you know. And so I do think that if there is going to be laws, like if we have to have laws, um, then laws to protect individuals from their employers saying you need to inject something into yourself just to go to work is a fair enough law. They shouldn't be able to tell you that, you know, they shouldn't have all the money and tell you, you know, you're going to show up. Um, we want you to get these five vaccines that our friends want us to sell you. And also, you know, we don't really want you to have a baby. Maybe you should get on birth control. Otherwise you can't work here. You know, where does it end? So if there are going to be laws, laws to protect individual humans from big industry would be laws that I would accept. And so I guess not having the pharmaceutical industry 
um, advertise on television. If we had to have a law, I would be better with that law than like a thousand, probably 10,000 other laws we already have. So that's my answer there. I don't have strong feelings towards it, but again, if we're going to have a society with laws, I could live with that law. Yeah, it's it's just always always odd to me that, you know, we can't advertise certain things, but then other things like like you're advertising a, a new drug, which is most likely going to be recalled at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, those those one eight hundred bad drugs be part of a class action lawsuit because the FDA approved this drug when they shouldn't have, which yeah. happens a lot. It yes. happens so much that the, the FDA is just so corrupt notoriously. And you can hop on Google very easily to find how corrupt they are, um, mm-hmm. even recently. Uh, not, nothing to even do with the COVID vaccine. Um, yeah. You know, there all kinds of other stuff. So I just find it interesting, like we're advertising these brand new products to people yeah. who don't pay attention to much of anything other than their, their own life, which, you know, not knocking that, but they're not doctors. They, they have very little to no medical experience and we're advertising these brand new drugs to them. And the thing is, is like, go ask your doctor, which I think is good advice, but it it just seems weird to me that we're just carte blanche advertising new drugs, which really haven't been tested. Yes, definitely. And okay, so there's a secondary issue that I like to talk about with the, um, you know, with the medical industrial complex in general. And that is that the patient is not actually the customer anymore. They're basically like the product. So why do I say this? Because the insurance company is the one calling all the shots about what you can have and what they will pay for and how much. So the, the insurance company is the person that the doctor has to satisfy them and also documentation that the government expects. So if you come in, you're sick, um, they, in order to get paid, they don't have to satisfy you. They're not saying like, are you happy with your service? Can, you know, can I get money? Are you happy? You know, did you, did your symptoms get, um, better? Did I figure out what's wrong with you? No, what they need to do is have certain documentation. So the insurance company will pay them whether or not you get better, whether or not it helps you, they have to hit these keynotes. So the insurance company says, okay, we have enough info saying like, we'll pay for that. So the insurance company is their customer. You're basically the product in the middle. You know, they're picking you over for, do you have this? Do you have that? Can I bill you for that? Can I bill for this? Can I bill for that? Um, And they're the ones saying no, yes, no, yes. So you're basically being used in this situation. Your satisfaction, not that satisfaction is what medicine is about, you know, obviously giving you good treatment, whether you like it or not, is important. but how you end up, like what state you end up in, whether or not you're fixed, whether or not, you know, you really got all your questions answered, everything. That's always secondary to did the insurance company get the documentation do they want? Did, you know, the government get the documentation that they want? You know, did the, for, you know, for legal purposes, all that is more important in the situation than you are. And that's why I do believe that there's another industry coming in, something that I'm planning to probably dabble in in the future, and that is medical advocacy. People need an advocate that actually works for them to sit down and say to the doctor, are you telling them all, and people can do this for this for themselves, of course, but if you're not able to because you don't understand or you're dealing with something complicated, it would be a good idea to hire someone who you pay them, not the insurance company, Don't you don't want the insurance company to pay them, but 
who on your behalf would advocate for you and try to help you understand because that doctor doesn't really work for you anymore. So, um, you know, to have somebody that says, are you telling them all the side effects? Is this really the best medication for them or is this something new? Why can't you use this basic old medication that has just as good of a treatment profile and we already know the side effects, you know? Are you making sure that you're giving them all the proper directions before they undergo this test? You know, do they need to prehydrate? Do they need to avoid any of their medications beforehand? Are you making sure? So it would be important for somebody to have a person on their behalf because a lot of those things get missed when the provider is trying to satisfy the insurance company and documentation instead of really focusing on the patient. No, I, I think that's a wonderful idea. Uh, it seems like there would probably be a pretty high market for that as well. Uh, a lot of people would pay quite a bit for yeah. kind of like a medical consultant to be able to make sure everything's in line, that they actually do have the ability um, to say, I have informed consent. Yes. And even something as simple as putting on seminars to talk to people about like, okay, well, we're going to talk about diabetes today and what what questions should you ask your healthcare provider if you have diabetes what do you need to know about these different you know kind of like non-insulin medications that they might offer you what dangers do they have you know what do you need to look out for like even something like that would help people to be a lot more informed because at this point like we need to inform ourselves and we need to make sure that we're getting you know what we actually need because as we know if they don't require, like, if you're not required to really give informed consent, like in the case of the COVID vaccine, um, on certain side effects, certain possibilities and stuff, a lot of times they just won't do it, you know? And do you think any of them, any of those providers that didn't say like, hey, I got this email saying like, this might give your 15 year old um, myocarditis. If they didn't say that, do you think they're getting in trouble? No, because there's liability protection there and they're not expected to. And they've totally disrupted the doctor patient or provider patient, you know, whoever it is giving them the shot um, relationship and that respect. But in the eyes of, you know, medical boards, CDC, insurance companies, everybody else, they haven't done anything wrong, you know? Uh, honestly, I would also like to see uh, a bit more education on exactly what's going on on the back end of a lot of these uh, issues within the medical community. Um, like Walmart, uh, uh, what, what is it? Walgreens and a, like a bunch of other, uh, pharmacies just had to have a big payout because of the opioid epi epidemic. Yeah. And a lot of these companies keep getting in trouble. And, yeah, exactly. And it, yeah. there, there's a lot of people who don't know about this. That's odd. I didn't know about the opiate, the opiates, um, about Walmart and companies being sued. I don't understand why they would be held liable. It doesn't make any sense. Um, pushing, that, pushing too much out um, without flagging anything that might seem irregular. Yeah. It's pretty the, subjective, but. The actual pharmacist, but also providers for the most part should have, you know, access before they write scripts and stuff. I think in almost every state now, it wasn't always like this, but they should have, the ability to check, like, is this person a drug seeker? Like, how many other scripts have they gotten? That that's an important piece of the puzzle too. I understand what you're saying, though. Um, if it is from 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 the pharmacist standpoint, if they weren't flagging things, that can make sense. Um, I do think it's interesting though, because like with autism, there's there's a now class action lawsuit, which I feel is a total complete sham. 
um, against Tylenol. But what's weird is that they have implicated places like CVS, Walmart, like those different ones, and that's an over-the-counter medication. Like, I don't know if they expect expected them to have, like, warnings or something, because doctors were literally recommending that to pregnant women and for young children, you know, to use Tylenol. I personally never use Tylenol because I know that it poisons your liver and it's dangerous, especially even to have it in the house. And when you have young children, that's a no-no because Tylenol can cause like full-on hepatic failure damage where people need a um, liver transplant if you overdose on it. It's extremely dangerous to liver. So I I never took it um, aside from I think like right after I had, had my son. But my point is, is that they tried to implicate that in um, in in the autism epidemic instead of vaccines. Now, I think that there's a really important reason why they're doing this. And that's because, you know, people like Candace Owens, who, yeah, I trash-talked her a little bit earlier on Instagram. But, you know, you can like stuff that people say and you don't have to like everything that they say. It's fine to call people out. That's That's how I see it. But she put out a documentary about vaccines. She said she wasn't going to vaccinate her children. Um, I think her second baby or maybe even both of them. And she's not alone. That sentiment is catching on. So what's going to happen if we know to be true the truth? The truth is, is that aluminum containing vaccines are injuring children in many ways, not just autism, you know, asthma, eczema, and asthma, they recently came out with an article admitting that aluminum adjuvants increase the risk of asthma. You can look it up. Um, so asthma, eczema, type 1 diabetes, um, uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, all kinds of autoimmune and inflammatory uh, issues, autism, and even like some say ADHD is kind of in that family of spectrum of autism. So if we know that those are causing issues, they have to try to cover their tracks, especially on autism. Autism is such a big one, and it's so devastating to children who are super severely neurologically injured. They're in years of therapy and everything. Um, so how do they cover their tracks if, say, in 2017, like when my son was born, the numbers had, I believe they totally exploded then, and I don't know if they made like a a super combination vaccine or something or what exactly changed, but it seemed like the numbers then really, really exploded. So how will they explain a drop? Just like we saw those articles with the SIDS cases when they said SIDS cases went down when no one vaccinated during the pandemic, that would happen with autism because more and more parents are saying, Candace Owens didn't vaccinate her kids, you know, or she put out this docu documentary, I'm not going to do it. I've talked to so many moms who are like, no, I'm not going to do all those anymore. Or if I do, I'm going to space them out or something. So what will happen as those numbers drop? Less autism. How do they explain that when they told everyone it was genetic for all these? Oh, it's just genetic. It's genetic. Huh. Well, why is gen genetics spiking after the 1980s when you took away um, liability from vaccine manufacturers? And then it's going to drop back down after people lose um, credibility in vaccines after 2020. Well, you have to explain that another way. So you're going to blame Tylenol. You're going to say, I'm sorry. We felt terrible. We couldn't have known. Like, we can never know anything because we're so dumb. The science changes. <laughs> we're so stupid that we don't know anything, but you should always listen to us all the time, right? So they're going to say that. 
the science change. We didn't know. Like, don't blame us. We're really sorry. We're going to have everyone's going to have five bucks in this class action lawsuit. And we're going to blame Tylenol. We're going to change the recommendations. And then we'll say that that is why less children have autism in 2024 than they did in 2020. And so it's a very fancy way to sidestep the issue. It also opens the door for them to, you know, and you never know if they're going to start switching all those vaccines to mRNA. Anyways, um, they can come up with probably some new medications for pain that, you know, they can get a lot more money for because they're not generic like Tylenol. Um, They'll always throw a generic under the bus before they're going to throw under the bus like something that, you know, their billion dollar baby, the vaccine injury uh, industry. So um, I think that that's a very fancy way for them to sidestep that that issue entirely like very creative on their on their behalf but it's something that I've tried to talk to to explain to people this is what I believe is happening and this is why and then the other thing I like to say is like I don't know what happens to you if you get involved in this class action lawsuit I'm not a lawyer but uh, something tells me that you want to know for sure that if you take five bucks in the class action lawsuit that you're not signing away your rights to later blame vaccines when the truth comes out. Because when the truth comes out, they should owe. When Whenever they find that they actually lied and covered information and that truth can come out, there can be lawsuits because that is what happened with HPV vaccine, um, Children's Health Defense, and I think maybe I can Action Network. I might be confused, but we're able to sue them, I believe, because there was some actual lying and, uh, you know, they were covering up data involved and injuries occurred as, uh, you know, as a result. So are you signing away your rights to get to get money for your child then? Maybe. So I would think very, you know, very, very cautiously before you accept like a little bit of money in a class action for something that is definitely, in my opinion, likely not the cause. Now, the other thing is, do they need to even complete the class action or Will it just kind of fall off? Will they just change their recommendations? And they've already spammed everyone with this idea that, you know, Tylenol causes autism and we all move about our day. Who knows? Well, one thing's for sure is that only time will tell. Yeah. Now, I, I think we're going to wrap up here just so I don't keep you that long. Uh, oh. I know you've had, a, you've had a long day and everything, <laughs> but yeah. I do got two more questions. <clears throat> um, Take your time. One question is, what would you say to uh, libertarians who say that uh, you're possibly too attractive to be a libertarian and that that might possibly make you a Fed? Oh, gosh. They do. People do <laughs> tell me all the time that they think I'm a Fed. Um, <laughs> okay. So when I, when I put on my conservative hat and I talk conservative talking points, and I look, one day I accidentally wore a plaid shirt that I bought at Tractor Supply. You know, it's not like my grandmother knitted me this shirt or anything. I bought it at Tractor Supply because that's what they had. So the conserv- my conservative friends say, you look like a Freemason. That's an Illuminati symbol of <laughs> of uh, sacrifice season or something. So that that's what happens when you're, at, you, I don't know, you don't know that. You don't spend enough time with the conservatives, do you? Or maybe. Um. I mean, I, I come across them and, yeah. you know, I, I came from that side, but, yeah. you know, I'm I'm amongst the anarchists now. Gotcha. So that's what they say. So they, they start sending stuff. I had a flooring in my house, too, before I ripped it out. I bought this house. It was a foreclosure. It was like half torn up. 
flooring and people were sending me messages saying that's that's pre-mason that's masonic flooring <laughs> i'm like that is linoleum that's barely attached from the person that probably bought the cheapest thing possible that had this house before me they're like take it out it's bad vibes i'm like okay guys it was never gonna stay so like I'm, but yeah so so that's what you get on the conservative end um and on the libertarian end you get you know this person's a fed and <laughs> Because I've been a libertarian long enough that I just laugh about it. But I'm like, this is a major issue because there are so many women, you know, like me who work out, who eat healthy, who, you know, just look like a regular mom. And they, you know, don't want to, I don't want to bring them over. Like I said, I'm like, look at all all, all these uh, health freedom moms over here. You don't want to bring them over so they can be called a fed by everyone. Then they're gonna be like, I hate it over here. Why did you bring <laughs> here? Now I'm even gonna leave your page because like you're you hang out with these people who just call me a fed and insult me, you know? Yeah. So I think that people need to stop doing that. Um, I think it's pretty silly. Like most libertarians, I don't think are the target of feds. Like most libertarians are doing literally like nothing wrong. They um, don't have enough power to be targeted by the feds, in my opinion. At least it, in most cases. <laughs> Exactly. And it's not even like, you know, when you think of like even the January 6th stuff, I don't think there wasn't like a ton of libertarians there. I feel like we just kind of mind our own business and do our own thing. And so I don't know why people worry about it. And I don't even know if they do worry about it or if it's just like a cultural funny thing to say. And it's fine. Like after a year or two of being in the party, you're like, oh, this is just how everyone acts. But like, if you want to bring new people over, like that's going to alienate them. So I try to to joke about it and stuff, but I'm also like, you guys, like, you know, if I, I bring over new people or anybody does and they don't look like what you expect a libertarian to look like, look, well, you still need them here, first of all, because that's how you grow. You got to let in new people, different backgrounds and everything. Um, but you also can't call them a fed because they're probably <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's... It's it's funny because the, some of it is the culture, some of it is joking, yeah. And it, it's it's pretty. Uh, in my opinion, it's apparent, but maybe I'm I'm I've been around the culture too much. Um, yeah. It, it's it's like the conservatives with the oh that's that's the Illuminati, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. It's just a, a different joke, you know. Exactly. Um, and I think but, it's, but <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But I definitely will say that there is uh, kind of this uh, very small subculture within libertarians um, that even most libertarians don't like, you know, mm-hmm. that are these these people that do kind of take that joke and run with it and make it not funny anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, I most most libertarians have an issue with those libertarians. Yeah. Um, it, th- those are the people who should be making phone calls and being or stay out of the public limelight, you know, my opinion. Yeah. But uh, so there are um, not to cut you off, but I think I think in just libertarians in general, we tend to take things too far sometimes in good fun and everything. We're very passionate people. And I, I like that. And I think that if we brand ourselves very 1776, then people will attach to that you know the for me one thing that you know other than just the fed jokes which i I think they're funny but um like 
some of the the yellow black guns like that stuff is a little bit like when you look at it you know like even yeah when you look at it you're not like this is super attracting to especially women so there's probably not a lot of women um but just people in general like it's very edgy and stuff but that's where i think if we had a niche with like the 1776 type of vibe um people are feeling very patriotic and i think that that could really work for us and it makes all those other things we do look a lot uh, more attractive so yeah there's there's definitely uh I mean, I, I myself am, am of the uh, ANCAP persuasion. Yeah. Um, I fully, fully embrace the uh, the yellow and black, but it's also not something that I fly publicly, you know, uh, just for that reason. Um, I, I have uh, become the mouthpiece, sort of, uh, at least in my area. Not to say I'm the only one, but I, I am one of them. And uh, so at least... Uh, I would agree that some libertarians definitely need to uh, realize that if they are going to be the mouthpiece, they should uh, they they should realize exactly what they're doing, and if that's what they want to do, they need to cater to uh, specific people and not be upset when uh, not yeah. everyone finds it attractive. <laughs> yeah, and um, I will say that I did get a "Don't Tread on Me" flag for my new house. I also got nice. a. So I was thinking to break my neighbors in. I'll probably fly the American flag for a little while till they get to know me a little bit better, and they'll throw up my "Don't Tread on Me." And then come uh, come Halloween season, we'll put up the pirate flag. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Really so well. <laughs> the the last question I have, yeah, um, is is one that I I'd love to see everyone's opinion about it and get their answer because everyone has a different one. Okay. And that is, why does liberty matter? Ooh, that's such a good, that's such a good question. Cause it seems so like, I would have the perfect answer for that. But then when you ask me, you're like, oh gosh, um, I think, okay. Liberty matters to me specifically. I'll start there. So to me, liberty matters because if you are not free, you're basically like a child, you know, if I am not able to do all the things that I want to do that I think are best for me to take care of myself. I'm basically becoming like a child's role. If the government tells me what to do and what I can do, where I can go, when I can go to work, what I'll have to cover my face with and everything, I'm basically like an adult child of the government dependent on them forever. And it is hard to take full responsibility, you know, when we think of like as, as libertarians, you know, there's the beauty of liberty, but then there's also the responsibility of basically just personal responsibility, taking care of yourself, making sure you're not dependent, making sure independent. So without liberty, you become, you basically can't even do that to the fullest. You're like dependent. So um, I think that that for me is the biggest thing. Like if we are, you know, if our liberty is taken away, we're basically like children who are told what to do all the time we're not free we're not able to fully you know care for ourselves and make our own decisions and everything so yeah that's that's a great answer and uh on that note i think we'll wrap up here um do you have uh anything you want to shout out anything or where people can find you um for sure definitely so i, I do want to say really quick because i never plug this but um, my job since leaving healthcare, I'm actually a fitness coach. I do online and in-person coaching. 
So um, you'll know I do post a lot of uh, workout videos and stuff too. But if anyone is interested in coaching for that, I do like, you know, it's like meal plans, supplements, uh, workout plans. We do videos. We do check-ins, everything there. It's like all, all encompassing. So if you're interested in that, definitely um, reach out to me on my Instagram. Instagram, you can find me at that Liberty Chick. Twitter, you can find me, THT Liberty Chick. And I'm also now, well, I'm on Rumble to that Liberty Chick. Um, although I haven't been posting all my videos over there, but I do have a few up. And um, you can find me on Facebook too now. So, Well, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, everyone's still watching. Thank you for making it to this point in the video. If you found value in this, please hit that like, subscribe, share. Um, we have been growing, but it it's you know, slow moving when you cover these sorts of topics, uh, you know, big daddy, big tech <laughs> overlord definitely doesn't, uh, definitely doesn't like this getting out there as much. And, you know, luckily I've been flying under the radar for the most part, but get this out there. This is uh, important information. Um, th this is part of, uh, growing your knowledge to be able to have informed consent and make your own decisions as a free independent thinker which is exactly why I like to platform these ideas, uh, no matter how uncomfortable they are for certain people. Um, so with that being said, thank you once again uh, for coming and uh, we'll get you back on because uh, I see good things coming in both of our futures. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Yep. No problem. Hang out for a minute until we get this, uh, get this done. And uh, until next time, stay free, my friends.